Welcome to the Outpost Church Podcast. This is a message from our recent Sunday gathering, and we hope it builds you up in your faith and encourages you. Enjoy. Continuing our series on a generation formed in prayer. So we'll kick off by praying. Oh, thank you, Father, that you're with us, whether we feel it or not, that you're just ever-present, that you're so kind, so loving. I um, just ask that you'd speak to us today, you'd speak through me. Um, thank you for yeah, what is here and we just ask that it would sink deep into us and yeah, there'd be the right amount of challenge but the right amount of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, a generation formed in prayer, that was something Shane sort of had come to him, I reckon 2021, February, for our discipleship training week and it's just sort of re-emerged recently and um, yeah, it's been cool pressing into that. So today the message will be a bit kind of like a two-part thing on just asking the question, what is like the end result of a generation formed in prayer? Like what would that actually look like? Um, so yeah, a bit from our perspective and then hopefully a bit of an insight into um, how God walks with us in that as well. But I want to start with a bit of a discussion. So with the people around you, just um, yeah, if you could have every prayer answered, what would you pray for? So another way of thinking about that would be like, when you think of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like, what does that look like in your mind? So yeah, just chat with the people around you. Alrighty, we'll bring it back in. I may have, we'll bring it back in. I might have opened a can of worms with a too big of a question and not enough time to think about it but I'm curious what were some of your thoughts anyone want to share we'll put it on the mic as well because this part's awkward on the podcast when you can't hear responses so um yeah yeah Christy um I was just the immediate thing I think of is like praying for people that are sick just to see people if you knew everyone was going to get healed that you prayed for you'd be just like all about it yeah we talked about like family members and different stuff with mental health and yeah healing and restoration for them anyone who would like to share um we were talking about like if it was everything we'd just sit there and just like pray about all the world problems it'd be like easier to lure people in and show them proof of like god lure them in yeah you know, be like, look, this is like, is you know, you're, def- you're definitely gonna be able to show them. There'll be more proof, and I feel like more people would come to Jesus. And you could pray for everyone to come to Jesus, and then the whole world would be Christian. <laughs> That's right. Pretty crazy. And when you said that uh, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer was, uh, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name," and it was His will on earth, Your kingdom come. And, that, and, and my first thought was, well, I'm okay, I've got the Lord, but what about those that don't? So my first thought was, that was my first thought was salvation, and the rest comes out of it. I, I said the same thing, but added to it that if everybody um, had a relationship with Jesus, there wouldn't be war, there wouldn't be starvation, there wouldn't be 
whole lot of bad stuff that's happening in there. That's great. Any final takers? Yeah, maybe someone in the front row. <laughs> no, that's great. So yeah, what we when thinking about a generation formed in prayer, what we pray about is important. And yeah, it's important to think about what would the end goal of that look like. Like is is someone who's walked along that path and they've been formed in prayer, are they someone whose life is like their life's perfect where the circumstances are just like really good? They're happy, they're healthy, they wouldn't change a thing, or is it maybe it's something else? Um so yeah, as I've been thinking about it, I've been, yeah, pretty convicted and feel like I need to repent a bit about my focus in prayer. Like just thinking about a generation formed in prayer. Like, and the reason I was like confronted and was I was reading through some of the prayers that Paul prays for his churches. And it's like, I've realised like, I pray way too much about the circumstances and it's not a bad thing to pray about circumstances and I'm a big believer and have seen it in my life and my friends' lives of God changing circumstances when you pray into them. But like if the emphasis is heavily on that and low on other things which I'll share about, like it can be a bit out of whack. And so just a couple of examples of Paul's prayers for his churches. So this is Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father and from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And there was another one in Colossians. Um, and what I notice in these prayers is like, circumstances changing is not too high on Paul's agenda. Instead, he's super concerned about the formation of those people he wants Christ to be formed in them and them to be formed into Christ and so yeah just thinking back over like almost the past year about the things I've probably prayed most about so much of it is about circumstances changing like something happens and you just pray for that thing to change as opposed to I suppose being concerned about um, that person's formation through that process so if you want to grab a bible there's plenty around um, we're going to be looking mostly at Romans chapter 8. And it'll be the back, the back part of that chapter. And it's, yeah, it's stuff that we often quote. And it's interesting to think about, you know, like all things working together for the good of those who love him. In my head, my first thoughts with that is often about circumstances changing it's not necessarily a bad thing or like the later part of that chapter um where it's like if god's for us who can be against us we're more than conquerors um 
But yeah, let's have a read through. So Romans chapter 8. Um, does anyone need a Bible that hasn't got one? All good, sweet. So yeah, Romans 8, starting at verse 28. We know, that, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring, against, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, the one who died, but even more has been raised to life. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves, loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a passage. There's plenty in there. Could jump off a lot of those verses like, one that's really struck me for a long time is he didn't even spare his own son but offered him up for us all. How much more will he not um, grant us everything? It's like sometimes we can think of God as, I don't know, it's like I've already been, I've already given you this much, I'm not going to give you any more. Whereas it's like he's given us that much, that's evidence that he's going to give us everything. Um, but yeah, I think the key for us in this passage is, yeah, like I said, it's not that first bit of all things working together for the good of those um, who love him and are called according to his purpose or about him being for us and um, not against us and, you know, being, us being more than conquerors through him. And we even see just before I started reading, like the verse before, it talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us and then you see that God's for us and then you see that Jesus is interceding for us. So, like, what's the purpose of all that? Like, what's... We've got the full backing of heaven, so what does a generation formed in prayer look like if we've got the full backing of heaven? What does that turn out to be? And that's where I think the key for us is, is actually in between all that. It's verse 29. So if you want to look in on that one. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, just to unpack that a bit, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. So, like, just saying that no one came into existence without God knowing about it. Like, it wasn't like he was creating everything and then some person popped up and he didn't see it happen. Like, he knitted you in your mother's womb. He knew you before you were born. He knows how many hairs are on your head. No one exists that God didn't foreknow. And therefore, this plan that we're about to unpack is actually for everyone. 
to the next bit, he also predestined. So I'm not going to get into predestination and all that stuff. But those he foreknew, he also predestined for something. So God has like a desire and a destiny, a plan for your life. And everybody's included because no one came into existence without God knowing it. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. And yeah, before we even move on from that, is that again, just emphasising, is that, are we predestined for a perfect life with things to just go smoothly all the time or is it something different? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that is God's like goal for our, our lives, to be conformed to the image of his son. And it's interesting, like I was asking myself, during this preparation, like, was Jesus' life perfect? Because he was perfect, but was his life perfect? <laughs> I've got a bit of a list that you could, you could go way further with than this. But, like, yeah, even though he was perfect, his circumstances were far from it. Like, think about it. So I got, they tried to kill him as a baby. He was constantly opposed by the Pharisees, like, his life would have looked like any new town, greeted by some, hated by others, betrayed by someone that he had invested three years into, like daily walking with someone and then they betrayed him, abandoned by the majority of his disciples in his time of need. This is the image of who we're being conformed into. He had an unjust trial, like accusations left, right and centre, like pilots like what's he done wrong and they don't respond with anything they just come back with crucify him he was beaten mocked and then like to finally cap it off crucified for our sin not even his own so like to be conformed to the image of his son he was perfect but his life certainly from what we may think looks good wasn't a perfect life in that sense so God's desire for us is that we are formed into the image of his son. So a generation formed in prayer would look like a generation that are formed into the image of his son. And that's like, I think some of the things I admire most about Jesus is those moments of like where it's hectic and then his responses. So like I said, what's he done wrong? They're screaming back, crucify him. He's sitting there just silent. Like, what kind of a man do you need? Like, what kind of character do you need to be able to do that? Or the one which, like, blows me away. On the cross, they're paying him out. And he's like, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Like, what kind of character do you need? What kind of formation do you need for that to come out of you in those moments? So a generation formed in prayer is a generation formed into the image of his son. So, yeah, it all sounds lovely. <laughs> but if that, like, if that becomes our goal, and, yeah, some of those circumstantial things, although they are still very significant, but they, if they grow fadely, what is it? It's grow strangely dim. That's what I was going for. They fade away. Those things don't become the priority but being formed into the image of his son does that's when you can begin to relate to those verses like 
about being purified and refined in fire and you know consider it great joy when you face trials of many kinds like I've never related to that verse to be honest with you because like to really consider it great joy it's like I can relate to it slightly in a footy sense pre-season you're running hard all right I'm embracing this because it is going to like benefit me but like when it comes to just daily life and considering trials great joy because it produces endurance and then if you let that endurance have its way it's going to create the image of his son in you so like yeah and how do you get to that point so i think that's where the generation formed in prayer is like super significant to just start praying those things start praying like paul prays like god give me the desire to want to know you more because maybe it's for you it's like i actually don't want that at the moment or lord help me to consider it great joy with this trial that sucks with this person you know how people say don't pray for patience (laughs) because god will send someone into your life that you don't want to be there we were chatting about it at youth on friday night just chatting about relationships and dynamics and stuff and it came up about friends or not friends but people that are around you how do you love people that are annoying kind of thing and it's just like it's yeah it's real life stuff how do you consider that a great joy when you're like facing those kind of trials and there's trials that are bigger than that smaller than that but it's just in that mindset of like prioritizing i actually want to look like jesus because that is his plan for my life and thinking about what does heaven look like heaven if you see revelation it's just based around the throne with the slain lamb on it like that's what heaven will look like forever eternity praising one who looks like that and it says that when we see him we'll be made like him so i think in order to get into that sort of mindset because trials it's probably a bit easy for me to talk about it without any major trials going on in my life and there's other people who are facing big stuff and this probably does not sit nicely and yeah I fully acknowledge that but it's like just starting to just pray those prayers even just like reading what Paul prays for the churches and be like pray it until it's your own like your own prayer coming through his words so that's that side of it now I wanted to show you just like the kindness of God and how he actually walks with us through that because it's certainly not about us forming ourselves it's about God forming us through the means of prayer so we're going to look now into Luke um, chapter 24 sweet so this is um the road to Emmaus it might be a familiar story and I just love looking at it from the point of view of like Jesus being God and the example the visible image of the invisible God like so when we see how Jesus acts towards his disciples that's how God in his in his fullness acts towards us and so yeah we start from verse 13 now that same day two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, 
Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognising him. So I suppose to set the scene, we've got two disciples who, if you try to imagine how they're feeling, we don't know necessarily with these two how long they had been with Jesus, but it was long enough to be convinced that he was their Messiah. And so that hope and expectation snatched away in a single day when he's crucified and they're left with this confusion, struggling, disappointment and I'm sure all of us could relate to being disappointed by God in some way or another. And just look at how Jesus goes about it. He comes near. So he comes near even when they don't recognise him and he engages with them like, it wasn't like they were walking and they said, oh, hey, mate, like, come walk with us. Jesus came near to them in their confusion and disappointment and he engages with them. Even when they don't recognise him, that's, like, an important part. Like, sometimes in our suffering and trials, you don't see God in it. But, like, this is just evidence to me that I can be confident that he's there even if I can't see him. Or recognise him. One of the most um, thankful moments that I've ever experienced was shortly after my grandpa like died suddenly. I messaged my grandma just asking how she was going, and like she's she's a devoted Christian, a church goer, but not necessarily super out there with her faith or open even with her faith. But like her response was. Thank you, Nick. I'm going okay. I'm surrounded by the love of God and feel very much the presence of Jesus with me, which I'm sure is what is keeping me calm. It's like, how good that, even though we're talking about trials and enjoying them, how good that he comes alongside us in those moments. So we'll keep reading. Verse 17. Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here in these days? I find this a bit humorous. Like, have you ever, are you someone who like sometimes thinks back about the conversations you've had during the day and you're like, I should not have said that. (laughs) Like, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what the heck's happened? Like, Jesus is the only one who knows what has happened in that. He experienced the whole thing. But it just, again, highlights like the kindness of Jesus because he wanted to get like their take on the story. So he comes along, doesn't just come in and just like slap them, wake up. He comes along, gets their side of the story and he goes... What things, he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us, They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those 
who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the scriptures concerning himself. Sorry, interpreted for them concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus comes alongside these disappointed, confused disciples and he gets their take on the story. That's like why to, that's part of why prayer is so important, to just communicate with God, get those things off your chest, like express openly. And how kind that he came in a way where they couldn't even recognise him, so they could just like vomit out how they felt without even feeling like they're going to offend him or anything like that. Just another like add on on top of how kind he is. But then he doesn't just leave us in that place of, all right, you've expressed your feelings, now you're just like zapped and dead, like as in energy-wise, you've just got nothing left. He shows them the truth, like it comes across bluntly here, but he actually explains to them, it would be an amazing moment to get Jesus' explanation of himself in all the scriptures. So he leads them into truth and we know that it's the truth that sets us free. So then verse 28, they came near the village where they were going and he gave, he gave the impression that he was going farther. I wonder what that would have looked like. <laughs> yeah, but they, they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. But he disappeared from their sight. This is a whack story, but just <laughs> staying in that like place of in trial and in discomfort, suffering, just how Jesus, firstly, tick, they practised hospitality. They brought him in when he looked like he was going to keep going. But did you catch when they recognised him? It was in the breaking of the bread that their eyes were open and they saw who he was. So it's like thinking about how Jesus had laid that out for them, that it was at the Last Supper that he gave them bread saying, this is my body given for you. So it's amazing to me that it's actually in suffering and in trial that Jesus is revealed. And so that's the same for us, that when we go through these things, through these trials... It's when Jesus is actually revealed to us and to other people. But then he just vanishes from their sight. But just as like an encouragement, like these guys recently just said, oh, don't go any further, it's getting late. And then Jesus is gone and they've actually seen Jesus, encountered Jesus, met him in their pain. And their response is they get up straight away and take off back to Jerusalem. So, like, they had settled in for the night, but an encounter with Jesus changes things. And then they shoot back to Jerusalem and we'll finish off and read what they, what they said. Um, yeah, the worship team can jump back up as well. Verse 32. They said to each other, 
weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered there who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. They began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I heard an um, analogy because there's lots in scriptures around trial and being refined and purified through fire. And I heard a guy asking a, purif- or a refiner, like, how do you know when it's all done? How do you know when the metal is like finished and refined? And the answer that that guy gave was, oh, that's easy. It's when you can see your reflection in it. So just, yeah, for us, as a generation formed in prayer, people that can consider it great joy or at least get on the path of trying to consider it great joy when we're facing trials because we want to be made into his image. That's God's plan for our lives. Yes, heaven, freedom from everything broken, but right here and now, And then it's going to be to be conformed into the image of his son. And when we see that suffering in that light, see that trial in that light, then Jesus is going to be revealed powerfully in us as he was here when he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So yeah, let's pray and then worship this king. Jesus, we just thank you that you know what suffering is that you yourself were perfected through your suffering, that you can sympathize with us in every single way, and that you love us, and yeah, whether we're doing a good job in these times or not a good job in these times, you come alongside us and you help us because you have a plan for our lives. You want us to be with you. You want us to know you. You want us to be free and to be made into the image of your Son. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, team. Um, I thought just before we head out to dinner, it might be good to just spend maybe 30 seconds on your own and then you can chat to someone about it if you'd like to. But talking about trials in an abstract way and things that you um, may struggle with, like when they're all abstract and you just think about it like that, it's like, okay, I'll embrace a trial. But maybe just take a moment to think in your own life what is something that might be a trial for you in this time that you can then attack with like prayer and just trying to just change your perspective on that thing that is causing you grief so yeah just take a moment now on your own to think about that and then um yeah there'll be people around to pray with you if you do want prayer